Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, here we are again. Welcome to the show, everyone. It's Script Shop is the name of the show. Hi, my name is Jack, and I have a confession to make. Oh, my God. Tell me. I really like movies. Oh. Like, okay, well, tell so, us more. Well, so here's the thing. So this is Allison, by the way. This yeah, is our hi. podcast. I'm Allison. Where we talk to screenwriters about their scripts. But also, I, I, you know, every now and then we, we do talk about movie-related things. And I, 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 I'm not sure if I've tweeted about this or not. I watched recently. It's been out on video for a little while. Mm-hmm. I watched, and I texted you about this, mm-hmm. a movie mm-hmm. called... Yes. Bad Times at the El Royale. I haven't seen that yet. I hadn't seen it until last night. It's really good. It, mm. Drew Goddard did it. He's the guy that did Cabin in the Woods. He's the showrunner on the first season of Daredevil on Netflix. Uh, and it's got Chris Hemsworth in it. It's got Jeff Bridges. Mm. Uh, it's got John Hamm. Mm. Uh, it's a really, and I, uh, Dakota Johnson, and I can't think of the other woman's name. She's a Broadway actress. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's about these people that come together at this motel out in California. It's actually right on the California Nevada state line. It's yeah. a gimmicky thing with this motel back in the 60s, and all this stuff just sort of happens at this motel. It's got a bit of a Tarantino thing to it. But the thing that I liked the most after watching the movie, mm-hmm. watching the making of, did you just tune into that immediately after, or did you like go, I want to know how this was made, and look yeah, it up online? My uh, Somebody lent me a, a disc of it that had the extra special I features see. in it, and there was a making of on there, and I love watching that stuff. Yeah. This movie, they built this entire motel on a soundstage, 60,000 square feet. That's amazing. With I love that. the lobby, and then actual motel rooms, mm-hmm. and all the other stuff. That And I, I remember watching it thinking, okay, well, because I had heard that they built the whole thing, but maybe just like, okay, well, here's a set piece, and then here's another set piece. They built the whole crazy thing, and it's also elevated a little bit, because there's rain scenes outside, and you got to mm-hmm. have some place for the rain to go. Mm. The mind, like, because you've involved me in some productions of yours now, yeah. and I've seen, like, I've just paid attention to movies more. Well, I just I, I, I'm a little bit more aware of all the work that goes into making something and the yeah. fact that this thing, they straight up built all this stuff with custom furniture and custom carpets. It's really incredible. That's isn't it? amazing. It's And you know what? Again, it's the beauty of like having something that is actually funded where vision can just live yeah. in this imaginary. It's not even imaginary in this in this playground that is now a reality. Um which is not, you know, we don't get to talk about fully funded projects right. on the show. We're not looking for that type of stuff for the most part. Right. So I, it's really neat to just like get to experience something coming from somebody's mind to living out really fully in that way. It was super cool. It's on video now. You can rent it, you know, digitally or whatever. Bad they, times at the El Royale. They should pay us for talking about this. They should. It's a great, yeah. it's, it's, it's a fun flick. Hashtag give us some money movie. Yes, please do that. Uh, so, hi. Thanks for sticking Welcome around for that. Welcome to Script Shop. We love this show because we talk to people about what they know. We love Script Shop. I know. I, Keep that going. Was, no, that was oh. it. That's all I had. You know me. I, I start to balk under pressure. I need to be prepared. Just needed one more stanza there. You had the rhyme scheme all set up. <laughs> we love talking to writers about their screenplays and what they wrote and why they wrote them. It is fascinating for all three of us. Um, Frank, Jack, and myself. Frank's here in the studio tonight. Frank, if you Frank's want to say here. hi. 
I'm here. Yes, Franklin Delano. Franklin Delano steals, steals a belt in the house. <laughs> we just put your whole name on the on the show. Is that a problem? It could be. We put oh your, no! Your whole name on the internet. Well, that brings out a really good thing because if you were a hitman, then that would be a problem. And today's episode, a oh. new suit with our writer Matt Mushka, is all about a hitman. It is a uh, 11 page hitman story with female motivations yes I love it it's great it, there's a it, there's a ton of cool stuff to talk to about it's got it, it, it's got a build it's got a build it's got a build and then you're you're waiting for the payoff almost before you know if for sure if there's going to be yeah. a payoff and you don't and we're gonna have to get into this as well I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share my secrets on it yet because once we get into the script there are some very unique things about it that i really love in terms of the storytelling cool so we're going to be talking to matt just a little bit about his script um if you are listening to the show and you want to continue the conversation with us after the show is ended you can look us up online at scriptshopshow.com you could also look us up on facebook instagram and twitter at scriptshopshow um you can talk to us we both have relatives that like to talk to us on social media so if you wanted to talk to Jack's Uncle Guy. That's right. Or my mom, Baby Debbie. You could do that. You could be connected. We should see about getting them to talk to each other. That oh, That's a crossover that's, that's good. waiting to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like where's your Uncle Guy live? Does he live in your hometown? He's in uh he's in Illinois. Il- okay. So it's like Illinois meets Texas. Maybe save that for the big anniversary show that, later this year. <laughs> I still want to do an anniversary show. That's a scripted version of us doing the show. We do <laughs> a screenplay a read. A, we do a screenplay read that someone wrote about us doing the show. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you just wrinkled my brain. It's Inception in real life, and it would be wonderful. It's script- I don't know if Inception is scriptception. Scriptception. Mm, that sounds kind of sexy. Yeah, sure. You're welcome. We're all wearing like. <laughs> sexy clothes doing we could dress up yeah well we got to wear nice proper outfits for the big anniversary yeah, show of course whichever anniversary we decide to choose yeah we'll figure that part out uh there's one other thing we got to do oh before gosh, we get to math this yes. is huge news yes huge 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 Breaking huge wow uh, so we've been talking about it for a very long time, the idea that you can uh, sponsor us on Patreon. And we have had our first financial subscriber that isn't your parents. That isn't my mom. Because this person actually went on to patreon.com slash script shop show, or at least search script shop show on patreon.com, found us, and donate is is, is a regular supporter a of ours. monthly subscriber. Yes. A monthly supporter. So thank you, Cheryl Smith Allen. Yes. Thank you so much. You do have our eternal gratitude. Yes, you you honestly. That's that's incredible. That's amazing. Thank you for going out of your way to send some money our way and support the show. It means a lot to us. Yeah, because this show means a lot to us. It and really the fact does. that you like it enough that you want to send money our way to support it means like that's that's huge. Yeah. And uh for anybody listening, any that's that that means so much. And uh Cheryl, that's fantastic. Thank Can't you. thank you enough. For everybody else, be like Cheryl. Go yeah. give us some money. Cheryl's setting a that really cool example. Yeah. She's cool. You should be cool. Yeah. Be so, cool like Cheryl. We're so bad at doing peer pressure when we're... Yeah, because I'm used to being on the receiving end of it. <laughs> There's other times where I'm good at it, but just now I just bit it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's let's talk about what we know. Yes. And we do know uh, we do know Matt Mushka's script. Is that is that your cue for That's me? That's where to... I was going. Okay. I just wanted... I wasn't sure. I put it out there kind of. You picked it up. And then Kinda, you, and now here we are. Well, then you broke eye contact, and I wasn't <laughs> sure, so I was like, oh, I'm out in the water. Uh, let's go to the phone. Matt Mushka's been waiting uh, very patiently. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for sending us your script. Thank you for coming on the show. 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm actually still trying to recover a little bit from that killer segue. <laughs> oh my was, god, Matt. Was, uh, Thank you. Yeah. That We're, was I'm getting better at my segues as the show goes yeah. on. That was that was pretty much a masterclass in radio show segues. So uh, you're welcome, audience. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, have you ever had to have a pseudonym because you were afraid of being found by people you didn't want to be found by? Uh, no, mm-hmm. I, I have not needed that. Are you telling uh, us the truth or not? I I am. Mushka seems like a weird pseudonym <laughs> to choose. That's what makes it so brilliantly it diabolical. Right. It, that's it true. That's in. true. I didn't go Johnson. <laughs> or or anything like Smith. that. I went I went difficult. Mm. What if somebody was going to choose like a a name as a cover, but they chose like the exact name of a celebrity or something like Woody Harrelson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah here's here's my friend Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> it's just a coincidence. It's a distraction, though. Yeah. You know, you're going to remember like, the person, and if you're going for anonymity, you don't want to be true. remembered. That's true. That now, is definitely true. You're asking Matt this because of the script, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because it's about like a hitman and right. stuff, and people that are maybe a little bit undercover. I, yeah, I wasn't asking him about it because I actually think that he's a hitman, and I'm trying to get into his life about working in the mob. Although, if you are, you can tell us about that. That would be cool. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like that would be a good thing to share on mm. on a podcast. What if you just hung up the phone now? <laughs> You're like, bink. <laughs> well, this has been fun, guys. Check you later. That would be funny. Yeah. Uh, Matt, where are we talking to you from? Where are you at? Uh, I am in uh, beautiful North Hollywood. Oh. Um, and if you've ever been to North Hollywood, you realize that that's a bold-faced lie because it is not beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's warm, and uh, I'm good with that. How long have you been living in uh, California? Uh, I've been in California about 14 years. Mm-hmm. Where were you born originally? Uh, just outside of Milwaukee. Oh. I grew up in a town called Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Ooh, cool. <laughs> Miliwake, which I believe is Algonquin for the good land. I believe you're correct. <laughs> I went to Wayne's Mil- World has taught you well. I, I watched a lot of Wayne's World. <laughs> um, did you grow up in Mil- or or I guess you didn't grow up in Milwaukee outside of it? And your I could you please say the name of that town again? Oconomowoc. Mm, Oconomowoc. That's fun. It's almost as fun yeah. as Mushka. Almost. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, I'm really testing your. Uh, your ability to pronounce today. I Thank love you. it. Um, so, did you grow up there, or did you move around a little bit, or what was no, kind of your? I grew up, uh, spent almost my entire early years there, up through uh, when I left for college. Um, I, you know, I was there for eighteen years. Mm-hmm. And then, what was college out west, or where was college? Uh, no, college was actually the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. Oh yeah, uh, Bagosh. So you know, that's the team. Exactly. Go Bagoshes. <laughs> <laughs> go bagoshes. That's the chant, right? The football, the 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 the, the screaming bagoshes. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> it's really hard to say. I'm sorry if you hate us, Matt. We're being no, too no, funny right now. <laughs> so you went to college. What did you study in school? Uh, I studied radio, television, and film. Oh, uh, my man. Is, yeah, I I had my my nice little. 2 to 5 a.m. radio shift. Yeah. Only, listen, only listened to by the prison down the street, uh, which made for very interesting fan mail. We had that, um, too. I went to Bowling Green in Ohio, and we had a prison that listened to us. Did you really? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's nice to have that captive audience. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. We get cool request calls. My dad jokes are just really oozing through here. <laughs> you said that made for a really interesting fan mail? It did. Like what? You got... Uh, you got a lot of letters uh, from people who were in for a while that uh, 
explained explicitly what they'd like to do to you, uh, which, you know, is probably not the right wow. uh, conversation for this show. That's so scary. It is a little scary, but, uh, you know, at least somebody listened. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's nice to know you have ears that are that are paying attention. So you were going for like a communications degree. I was, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I went for uh, for filmmaking, and you know, tried to do as much within that portion of the major as I could. Um, but you know, I wanted to learn television. I wanted to learn radio, be as well rounded as possible. Yeah. And did you just then book it out to California after graduating? I did. Uh, I think I I drove out three days after I graduated. Mm-hmm. As young people uh, do. Yeah, you you don't think about what you're doing before you do it, which is probably the only way that I did it. Yeah, yeah right. Because and we've talked about this on the show before. The idea that as you maybe grow up, and and you know, fear sets in, and sometimes it can be really legitimate things that you should be afraid of. But if you're maybe younger and more brash about stuff, then you're not as worried about it, and it's it's a bigger like it's a high risk, high reward kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I didn't even, I genuinely didn't even think about it it was always that was the next step i was just moving to california mm-hmm. and as i was driving out i got a phone call from the guy i thought i was living with saying hey uh so i talked to my roommate and there's no actual space for you here uh but i i think maybe i found another place for you to live and that was in nevada so close oh my gosh so you know i had four hours to uh decide whether or not i was serious about this a roommate. well so yes yeah, what so- did you do yeah uh, he, uh, the original guy I was supposed to live with had another, uh, friend of his who had space in his house. So I ended up living in a house with, I think, 11 other people. What? That's Which, you know, it's smelly. It is. It is. And it's kind of annoying when you have somebody who's sleeping in the kitchen and you have to, you know, wake up and go to work and they're furious that you're trying to, you know, get a glass of milk. And, and so now what was work for you at that point? Were you, I mean, just taking any odd job you could? Well, when I first moved out here, I had an internship with a company called Beacon Films, which I don't think exists anymore. Uh, but I was there as a script reader. Oh. So, you know, I would show up at 8 a.m. And, and start reading and read until they close the doors and come back and, and do it all over again. We should it, get it, one it's of kind of <laughs> sad because I was so, so driven that I didn't realize that we were in Santa Monica on the ocean. And I'd been there mm. for like two and a half weeks. And I walked up to my boss's desk and I'm like, oh, hey, look, you can see the ocean. And this guy's like, you've been here for three weeks. Oh, my gosh. How is it? I'm like, I've been reading. I've been focused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You said, hey, man, I'm a go-getter. Don't hate, don't yeah. hate me. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a little foolish well, do you think that focused. Well, yeah, there isn't a lot of balance there. But... You know, that's another conversation for another time. Well, you're trying to work your way up. I get the enthusiasm of wanting to really focus on the gig and, yeah. and, and wanting to try to make a good impression because you're right, you're, you're, you're nobody at that point. Mm-hmm. Do exactly. You, do you think that reading uh, all of those scripts helped you, like, as a writer? You know, I think it helped me to realize that the bar wasn't unreachable. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that came in through that office was solicited through an agent. So someone... This, that author had been signed, that writer had been signed, and the stuff that I read was mostly horrible. I mean, there was some amazing stuff, but for the most part, it, it was not good. And nothing that I read in the time that I was there ever ended up ge- being made, um, which is another lesson, you know? There's yeah. thousands of scripts and very few 
are made every year. Well, I think that's interesting. You're so I, I like the idea that your reaction to the mostly, let's say, bad scripts that you were reading, it wasn't like it dragged you down. Like, oh, I've got this job. I'm reading just garbage and everything's lousy. For I, it, it sounds like the way you were describing it for you, the idea of, hey, this script is lousy, and so is the one that I just read before it. That means I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I it, like it helped to kind of instill a little bit of confidence. Yeah, I like getting in, I like getting inspired by that sort of thing. Did you start writing at that point, or were you what What were you kind of doing as you're you know you're reading here? What was your hustle? What was your plan at that point? You know, at that point, I wanted to be a producer, and I was looking for stuff outside to try to produce on my own. Um, I wasn't writing, uh, and it actually it was a couple of years after that before I really started to write. Um, you know, I, I was working at that internship left there and then I, you know, just went from PA job to PA job until I ended up in post-production, uh, for reality television, which is a pretty stable job. Mm -hmm. Um, and from there, that's when I kind of started to write, uh, while doing other projects on the side. So you kind of had this like stable income. You didn't have to hustle as much to get the gigs that opened you up to be a little bit more creative. And then you could just kind of take little projects here and there as they popped up. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. It's just interesting to kind of look at like what the support system for a person is mm -hmm. individually. How how do you feel like your day to day, like your day gig, influenced when you did maybe sit down to write in the evening, or you know some other ideas that have maybe been running around in your head and getting them down on paper? Did your did your day job influence that at all? Uh, it has on, on on some projects that I've worked on, um, but you know, for the most part, the writing was an escape from my day job. Mm. You know, it, it gave me an opportunity to to look and tell stories that weren't based on, you know, reality footage or game shows or anything like that. Um, it allowed me to be more creative with my imagination. What kinds of things do you usually write about? Um, <laughs> most of this stuff is, is a bit darker than what I sent to you guys. Oh, yeah, because um, this is just like <laughs> this is a romp. super <laughs> an Easter fodder here. It, it, come on, it's it's sunshine and rainbows. It um, is it is light esque. Yeah, but you know yeah. somebody blows up a building at the end of it. So <laughs> that's that's true. Now, uh, you know what I really started to write was after I had kids, and I felt like I had something more to say. You know, before that, I was you know just a standard guy who loved movies and had seen a ton of them. Um, but once I had kids, that kind of helped put things in perspective and, and kind of give me a base to the stories. So, you know, it, it's more relationships between parents and children than it is anything else. Um, how many kids do you have? I have three kids. Yeah. I only ask because I have one and I love her so much that I like to talk to everybody about their children. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I understand that. I have three and I also love them so very much. Are they, they, sm they small kids, big kids, medium kids? Kids who no, live I, with, I, under rocks. Keep going. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I, it's a five-year-old, uh, almost nine, and 11. Awesome. How much do you find that like specific interactions with the kids or situations you may find yourself in with your family in general then is like, oh, wow, I can maybe work this into something I'm writing? You know, it, it typically doesn't. It, it's mostly just sort of that unbridled love that you have for somebody else that kind of can drive a situation. You know, how far would I go... For this, oh wow! You know, okay. Knowing knowing that it's you know what if 
you know, God forbid my life, my child's life was in danger. How far would I go? Yeah. Those, those are really kind of what drive. Okay. Yeah. Like driving, like, like shoveling coal into the engine of a locomotive. The coal doesn't have anything to do with the train itself other than the fact that it's fueling it. Exactly. Huh. Mm -hmm. That's so neat. So which one of your children did you base today's script off mm-hmm. of? <laughs> <laughs> I only had two at that point. Uh, I don't think either one of them was based on this. So today's script, of course, it is very different than a lot of these things tonally that we're talking about. Yeah. You have spoken about being ambitious in uh, Los Angeles, about um, you know kind of being a little blind and moving out there as you could, and then the love you have for your family. But today's script is like definitely a hitman story it's got that whole kind of like new guy on the mob scene vibe to it where does that come from you know i was sitting in a movie theater watching mission impossible i think it was kind of was i don't remember which one there have been so many but it's tom cruise running in a suit you're gonna need to be still more specific yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah right exactly and all i can think to myself while seeing this is where did he get the suit uh-huh. Yeah. Like, how does how does a spy shop for a suit? Which leads me to how does a hitman shop for a suit? Mm-hmm. Uh, just sort of a little bit of mundane in a bigger story, and I, I thought that might be an interesting point to key in on. Do we think hitmen would really wear suits on the job? Depends on how classy they are. I would wear like stretchy clothes that I yeah could, something comfortable, right? Yeah, something I could move in, like like the clothing something I they, could fight very well in, like the clothing they tell you to wear at auditions. Just bring some movement clothing because we're going to be working on some steps. <laughs> no, I'm thinking like yoga pants. Yeah, well, I suppose it just depends on how classy the hitman. I mean, people wear different clothing to work depending on what their job is and how they but the thing sort is, of is perceive that they themselves. Wear a suit, then they go to work and they try to shoot somebody, and somebody else shows up, and somebody gets a dart in their neck, and the next thing you know, this guy's supposed to be doing like rolls and flips and jumping off of cars and fires going off and that would probably all be a lot easier if he wasn't wearing like loafers Mm. and a nice suit it just depends on how nicely it was made but if you (laughs) the suit (laughs) itself maybe the suit is like yoga pants it's just designed to look like a suit the you know you you, matt you talked about like the sort of the 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 banality of jobs like hitman and what the the venture brothers is a show that really does get into like everyday nonsense as far as you know super scientists and superheroes and all this other crazy cartoon stuff goes, they do that show is really good about getting into the, well, where's the coffee? Oh, well, all we have is this instant crap. All right, I'm going down the street to get a cup of actual stuff. Like that that sort of mundane day-to-day is what makes the, the interesting stuff that much more interesting. Right, and if you can infuse something exciting into the mundane, you know, it, maybe it's a little bit more relatable. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of what you've done in this script where what we think is the kind of mundane of this situation actually ends up being a lot more. Yeah, for sure. Should we lay out plot points or do a script reading now? I think if we just give people a little walk towards the bit we're going to read and then we can cap it off for them after we do the read. Okay. So listeners, today we're going to do a selection for you. Um, If you're following along, it starts on page two with Interior Haberdashery Day. Um, I'm going to be reading for two women today, Avery and Clerk. Um, Jack's going to be reading for Thomas, and then Frank here in the studio will be doing all of the action headings. So at this point in the script, Avery and Thomas, uh, she's taking him around 
sort of giving him advice on stuff, and she wants him to get a good suit. And it's all sort of vague. He's being kind of childish about the whole thing, saying, I don't need that. I've got talent. Clothing doesn't matter. I'm good. She's like, no, trust me. You need to look good in what you're doing. It's important to project a good image. And they come to this sort of hole-in-the-wall haberdashery. Another uh, great word. It's a fantastic word. That's that's a top ten word. Uh, to, to buy this for Thomas to get like his first suit. And, and they're not real specific about what he does. He's just very confident about what he does. And Avery is very confident in that, well, you may be good at what you do, but you have to look good doing it also. Is that, Matt, does that sound about right? Yes, it does. How, awesome. much, how much do we know at this point that he's probably a hitman? Really nothing. It's only page two, and she's just giving him these lines about how, you know, appearance matters, and you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. There's actually a really great line just before we're going to start reading, when he, when they see the place, and he goes, but this is the place? This place is a dump. And she says, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. And his reaction is, that's the exact opposite of everything you've been saying to me up to this point and how appearance matters, <laughs> which I thought was great. Thank you. Well, we're going to turn your mic off just for a few moments, Matt, while we do this reading for our listeners. So, peace out. Yep, hang on. Okay. All right, listeners. Everybody's here. Everybody good? Everybody feeling good? Frank, how you feeling about this little bit here? Haberdashery is a very unique word. Frank, this is a top ten word. I have that in my notes. Haberdashery is such a unique word. <laughs> <laughs> it was sticking with me. Perfect. Okay, Frank, whenever you're ready, take it away. Interior. Haberdashery. Day. Old, dusty, run down. The man glances over to the woman and shakes his head. Ugh, really? I'm sure you'll find something that suits you. The man grins. Suits me. Very funny. A young female clerk, 20s, appears from the back. Slim, cute, and knows it. Thomas notices her instantly. We're about to close. This shouldn't take long. The young man here is starting a new job and needs a nice suit. The clerk and young man make eye contact. She smiles. Well, I'm sure we can find something that will help him get that first big raise in no time. The young man cracks a smile at this. But like I said, we close in a few minutes. The tailor already left, so no alterations. I'm sure we'll be able to find something off the rack. Fine. The clerk turns to walk back towards the stockroom. Will you not be helping us? I thought you said you could just find something off the rack. The young man glances over to the woman. She's a little haughty. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out a Zippo lighter. And gives it a flick. Put it away. The young man rolls his eyes, defiantly snaps on a flame. The woman grabs a lighter from his hand. It's annoying. People remember annoying. Can we just get this over with? The man and woman slowly stalk the store. You want to make sure everything is right. The proper wardrobe for the setting. Again, clothes aren't important. It's what I'm packing underneath that matters. Please, I don't want to hear about what you're packing underneath. Thomas smiles at this. Avery drops her satchel and sifts through a rack, pulling out a black suit. She hands it to him. Go try this one on. I don't need to try it on. I'm sure it'll fit just fine. Avery pauses and turns to get Thomas's full attention. The way a man's suit fits says something about who he is. The clerk reemerges from the back room, sees the suit in the man's hand. So you ready then? Almost. Just need to try it on. The man rolls his eyes and smiles at the clerk. Ugh, whatever. Dressing room is this way. Interior. Dressing room. The man steps into the room, followed by the clerk, crowding him, holding a tape measure. I thought you weren't helping. I got places to be. Hurry up and take off your pants. The man feigns shock. I normally like a lady to buy me a drink first. Unimpressed, the clerk holds up a tape measure. I need to check your inseam. Those jeans will screw up my measurements. The man drops the jeans, 
The clerk begins measuring and notices his wallet has slipped out of his pants. She's wrong, you know. The fit matters, just not as much as the logo. As she slides one hand up to anchor the measure, the other hand empties the cash from his wallet. There is nothing sexier than a man in an expensive suit. I was right. These pants are the wrong fit. I'll be right back. The clerk kicks the wallet back under the pants as she leaves the dressing room. And scene. That's the scene. That's all we can give you right now because I can't do a full script of two women <laughs> having conversations. So, Matt, so that story goes on and there's a little bit of trying on the suit. The clerk has taken some of his money. And in the course of the conversations of the clerk trying to get out of there and close the place down, there are some references to the clerk's there all alone. The owner sort of left her in charge. And there's a reference to the idea that the owner is cheating on his wife. He's having a falling out with his wife. A lot of it is alluded to the fact that it's because he's cheating on her. Right. And then it's alluded to the fact that it's because of this little toddy gum-chewing clerk here. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so they're they're having their conversation still. Thomas is being oblivious and almost willfully blind to anything other than his own situation. And in the end of it, Avery leaves her bag behind... Uh, on purpose, and as Avery and Thomas are walking out of this place, kaboom, kaboom! the whole place goes up. And it is then revealed, not through obvious writing, but through the little puzzle pieces you've put together, that this dumbass clerk is cheating on Avery, cheating with Avery's husband. Right. Avery, this wasn't about the new suit the whole time. It was about Avery needing pretty much a cover to get in there and plant a bomb, basically. Mm-hmm. Does that about do it justice, or would you like to share some more on this? Uh, that about does it justice. It's it's interesting though that you guys think it was Avery who <gasps> had her husband being yes, cheated on. Yes, that's what I oh, thought. Oh man, that was where my head went too. Let me see if there's uh, something no. that makes me think that. Do you think she was hired for it? She was hired for mm-hmm. it. Oh, well, that oh, also oh. makes tons of sense because you know she's taking Thomas out as the hitman. The reason I thought it was her, there's a lo- there's a few lines. I, I'm going to look at them for a second, and okay. then I'll come back with that. Okay, well, so one of the questions that I had for you, Matt, was the, the, this, this idea of all of the, 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 quote, the actual action, the, the, the coming to the place and the bomb going off is sort of rooted in the idea of hell hath no fury like a woman scorned and i was sort of curious yeah. what the what if there was like a root for you in that and where where this particular story may have come from for you in, on an inspiration level you know uh that's exactly right um inspirationally it, it's that is a great question um when i was originally plotting out the idea i didn't know that it was going to be the rash, the reason for blowing up the building. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just, it's an old rundown place. They're blowing it up to try to get the money ah. um, from insurance purposes. Uh, but a friend of mine had pointed out, wouldn't it be great if it was just sort of a revenge? Uh, and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It you really know, that feels that sense. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And I think it, it works better that way. I think. Yeah. I think as a reader too, maybe we just look into it a little bit more about like, it's not just a job for her. Like she just has such this thoughtful, pedantic way of being with people in the script. And then she has this line that says, you know, on page 11 readers, after the bomb has gone off and set, setting off car alarms and sending debris flying everywhere, they continue down the street and Thomas goes, her? And Avery says, she just didn't understand that you don't sleep with married men. Sometimes the wives don't handle it all that well. And I just assumed. And those two had static right from the get go. too. Yeah. Yeah, 
Like she, Avery is giving the clerk shit the whole time oh, yeah. too. Very, very subtly. It felt, yeah, there, there, it felt like there was a bit it of a personal, personal thing there. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, it very well could have been that Avery had a similar situation. Yes. Um, Backstory. And, and that sort of is what helps kick it through. I love it. Um, plus, you know, she feels for the, the other woman mm-hmm. who hired her. Right. Well, that's true. Yeah. In terms of backstory. Yeah. Avery could have this whole like personal connection to the idea of being cheated on and getting, you know, screwed over by the person you trust the most. Now we're making a universe. Yeah. That's I right. love it. Yeah, exactly. The map. Uh, I mean, typically what I like to do is write something where you drop somebody into the middle of it. You don't know the beginning. You don't know the end. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, this is a story, a portion of it. In this, in this regard, I feel like Thomas gets dropped into the middle of this. You know, he's just trying to start his new job and, you know, maybe more, metaphorically the readers get dropped into the middle of your script but also he does too he's he's a little pawn here yeah he is yes he's stupid I mean, too he's such a jerk he, he he's not listening to anything this person is saying and even right from the beginning in the script like she clearly is like uh, you know at least more mature than him i don't know if she's maybe above him on the food chain of whatever this organization is but i mean he thomas from the get-go is just a petulant kid he is, and that's you know that's the whole driving home. This is you'll you'll be a man after this. After after you start this, you'll you'll grow up a little bit because he's, I mean, he is training to be a killer. Didn't necessarily know that this was the first kill, right? But, um, but that's the world. That's the world, and he's uh, he's trying to hide his nervousness by being overly cocky and mm-hmm. overly arrogant. Mm-hmm. That's a much nicer way of saying it than me just being like, he's stupid. <laughs> do you like to do stuff like that in, in your other writing of having like an arc of somebody, you know, starting out completely ignorant of the situation, like you said, sort of having the audience not really knowing what's come before and just dropping them into it and then having this arc of learning and, and evolving and in theory growing? Yeah, that's I, that's typically what I like to try to do in a story is drop people in where they really have no idea what's going on and they, they have to pick up the context based on what's happening. Uh, so I, I hope that I'm writing characters that are enjoyable enough that you want to stick with it uh, because really, you know, the first eight pages, nothing really happens um, up until that twist. And hopefully mm-hmm. people are engaged enough by the characters yeah. that they, they want to go along for the ride. I think, too, one of the things I wrote down is that you have a really um, subtle way of, of putting basically like red herons in, into the script. You know, we've got the clerk stealing his money. Um, and so I think, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a beef between him and her. It's oh, going to yeah. turn into something. And then the whole thing, I think the going in to get a suit itself is kind of a red heron here and the fact that. Um, is it herring? Is that what you mean? I wasn't face? sure if you, if you were slipping into a Texas accent or not. I didn't want to be that guy. I appreciate that because I couldn't remember, so I was trying to do it somewhere in the middle on both, and then I said it twice and you're you made fine. a face. It's good. Yeah, it's herring. Okay, it's okay. sweet. You, you, you're using the word. I mean, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> kind of, I guess. <laughs> it's fine. Anyway, I wrote that you have these anti-Easter eggs in the script mm. that kind of like, I you know... I didn't actually see the ending happening the way it did because I was too busy paying attention to these other signs telling me to look somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for a conflict to happen amongst different characters and didn't really expect it to be what it was in the end. Yeah. Right, right. Do you do that intentionally? I I did. 
um, I wanted basically the entire setup to be a misdirect. I wanted you to kind of feel like maybe this was this kid's mom. I wanted you to feel mm-hmm. like maybe, you know, this girl, it was going to be a confrontation between the clerk and the, the man. You know, uh, I felt like if you were paying attention to these other little things, you might not see the twist coming. Mm-hmm. Success. Yeah. Well, and, you. and, you know, in terms of the, the, the method that they use, I, I mean, you sort of talked before about the idea of it originally starting out as, you know, maybe an insurance scheme and set a fire. But like bombing this place to take out this girl that was cheating with her boss is that's such a big, specific way of taking her down. I was just curious as far as on a creative level, why going with let's blow this place up? Uh, well, really. When I wrote it, I was intending on shooting it uh, shortly after, and I knew After Effects and knew I could blow up a building. Oh, cool. Uh, so I figured that would be the easiest way, uh, you know, without having to direct too much action or anything like that, just because this would have been my first short as a director. Mm-hmm. I was trying to to simplify things a little bit. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great. The idea of blowing up the building is like the most the practical means to the end. Yeah, yeah, that's I lo- great. I knew how to blow up a building, right. so... <laughs> right. Gun schmuns, let's blow this thing up. <laughs> well, you were talking a little bit about your character development as well, and that having great characters is really important to your mode of storytelling. How did you develop the characters for this story? Uh, well, this story, I tried to look at sort of a, a mentor-mentee relationship, but tried to infuse a little bit of, of the parenting dynamic, somebody who might be a little bit rebellious towards their their mentor. Uh, so kind of giving Thomas a little bit of an attitude and trying to, to keep Avery cool through the entire thing. Um, the clerk actually kind of had the most development along the way. She was basically just a character who was in the store when it blew up originally. Okay. Uh, there, there wasn't a lot more backstory to her, but trying to, you know, give her a little bit more attitude, trying to get them out the door as fast as possible, trying to, you know, infuse a little bit of annoyance into her and as well as, you know, making her, uh, rip off Thomas, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to find a play way for the audience to be okay with her blowing up. Did, did you make those revisions based off of feedback? You said you had a friend read it. Yeah, a friend of mine who I'd worked with for for years, his name was Eddie Levette, he uh, he helped me kind of form the story a little bit. I mean, he, you know, let me know where it was lacking from time to time. Um, So he was a huge help to the development of it early on. How many revisions of this have you done? Oh, probably eight at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It it was something that I'd, I'd written originally years and years ago, I think 2012, uh, and then, you know, life kind of catches up with you. you. You have kids, you work multiple jobs, you're just trying to, to get through and some things kind of get put on the back burner. Um, and then, you know, I, I had heard that this same friend I mentioned earlier, Eddie had, had passed away from sort of a freak accident. Mm. Oh, and that kind of, you know, lit a fire again in me to, to realize that, you know, life's short if you want to do something, you got to pursue it and move forward with it. So yeah. that's when I kind of put a lot more effort going back into uh, rewriting this and writing a number of other shorts as well, yeah. just trying to to jumpstart a career there. In your in your revision process for this, how difficult was it for you to cut stuff, kill your darlings, anything like that? 
surprisingly easy. Um, That's good. You know, it's important to understand that something that you love might have messed up the entire structure of your story. Uh, And it's, you know, having someone help you point that out to you uh, and understanding that and being able to accept it, I think is a big, uh, big point of being a writer to understand that, you know, we're a human. You're not always right. Yeah, you're human. That's like a very metaphorical yeah, for thing sure. to say something you love has messed up your whole story and having somebody point that out to you. You know, it's like Dr. Mushka over here. Mm-hmm. I'm laying on the couch saying, thank you so much for fixing my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, one of the other, like, if you want to talk about like work, art and life metaphors here in terms of having maybe a character that is kind of immature and needs to grow up and learn along the way sounds a lot like maybe some sort of parental guidance, family based thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't even thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Mm. Well, you were talking about doing production with this, this short and that, you know, originally it was supposed to be your first directorial debut as a, as a short film director. Do you have plans for it now? And how does this fit into your life now? Yeah. Uh, you know, at some point, this is something that I would like to make. I think it's, I think it's fun. I think it's an enjoyable story, but I, I don't know. I don't know where it sits right now in terms of sort of the, the Pantheon of projects. Um, you know, I, I had directed a different piece a couple of years back, and I'm finishing up my second one now. Um, you know, I tried to get it off the ground at one point, but I, I couldn't find the haberdashery. Yeah. Not in, mm. Come to Cincinnati. In there's the so part. many haberdasheries in Cincinnati. That's true. <laughs> Are there? <laughs> yes. There's, a few, there's quite a few, like, yeah, suit stores and stuff like that like downtown. Like old school ones, Absolutely. too. Old yeah, department. you know, it's funny because I based this off of, uh, off of a suit shop where I got my tux for my senior prom you know, years ago. Is, is so, that place still living? It is not. It is now, nah. I think, a Rocky for Cocos. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you got to so, find the place, I see. Yeah, that's that's got to be the hardest part, right? As, as, other than casting, but, you know, is it the sort of thing where you've got a stable of actors maybe around you who you've already thought of, well, this person could play Thomas pretty well and Avery and so forth? Uh, you know, I don't necessarily have a stable of actors. Um no, sorry. No, you're okay. Please <laughs> um, bring I don't him on necessarily in. have a stable of actors. When I wrote this, I, I had imagined like Leslie Mann as as Avery, yeah. mostly because I remember her saying that she wanted to be in an action movie someday. Cool. And I'm like, well, this is action adjacent. You mm-hmm. know, this is just my work. Um, but I I don't have like a crew that I work with consistently in terms of actors. You know, in, in Los Angeles, there's so many yeah. uh, resources, but it's also it's an industry town, so everybody expects something from it, you know? Um, that's another reason it's hard to find, you know, a suit shop. You can definitely get a shop for three grand a day. Yeah. But, yeah I don't have $3,000 to rent a suit shop for a day. So. Right. Yeah. You're just looking for the right fit then. Hey, oh. <laughs> Nailed it. Oh my I'm on fire. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that's great. If somebody does have a bucket full of cash that yeah. they want to send your way, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? You know, the best way would probably be through Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Matt underscore Mushka. It's M-U-C-H-K-A. Um, that's the best place to get a hold of me. Okay. Excellent. Well, and people can, your script is available on scriptshopshow.com slash scripts. Uh, the little, you know, bio page about you that we'll have on there. Uh, we'll have contact information and that sort of thing, uh, all available to people who are listening and inspired and uh, want to get a hold of you. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight yeah. or early afternoon in your time. <laughs> Late afternoon. <laughs> Late no, afternoon. this is great. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. There's Matt. Yeah, this is such an easy read. People, you have got to go read this script. Well, and I, you know what? I, I mean, I don't want to make a, like a one-to-one comparison, but I was catching a vibe, especially early on when it's these two people and you don't know what their motivations are mm-hmm. and they're coming into a store. Mm-hmm. It made me think of Cherry Glazed mm-hmm. when this sort of random girl shows up mm-hmm. at the gas station for, and you're and there's some undertones of like, well, maybe something nefarious is going something on here that I don't know yet. Something is happening. Cherry Glazed is a, a short script by uh, Christine Sherwood. Mm-hmm. She was an artist we had on the show months Months ago, yeah, and Cherry Glazed is an amazing script. Um, it won Best Short at the Independent Film Festival 2018 yes. Short Screenplay. So you should get online, check out that um, episode, and then read Matt's. Yeah. It's such a good fun. It is fun, very fun, positive romp. And I think too, there's a lot of freedom for the characters, like the actors who are playing yeah. Thomas and Avery, to to sort of live and flex a little bit in these roles and have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah, well, the fact that he was saying Leslie Mann for yeah. Avery is awesome. Yeah. You know, that's a completely different take than how that role could go mm-hmm. from how I played it, even just doing the reading. So yeah. that would be really fun to see a lot of diversity within that in terms of tone, perspective, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you have something that's got tone, diversity, and et cetera, uh, and you've written it down in script form, we would love to see it. And you should send it to us by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit, and you can uh, send us your work. Also, if you're listening to the show and you maybe have you've, you've subscribed and you uh, maybe want to leave us a review on iTunes uh, with a rating and some comments, that would help us out tremendously. We'd, We'd really appreciate that. that. Yeah, please do. That would be really, really awesome. So, friends, until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.